1: Mayday, mayday, mayday.
0: There he is. Mayday,
1: mayday.
2: Good morning, Mr. TK.
1: Icebergs on the port side.
2: Oh, no, we're going to crash. <laughs> <laughs> was that all about well
1: i don't know but i figured it out
2: are we heading towards the iceberg tk oh have my worst fears come true
1: oh my gosh this is one of those double entendres isn't it
2: it turned into into one
1: just like last week's train yeah Hmm.
2: Hmm, we're good at this i
1: think i think the um titanic right i think toronto maybe we should rename it to titanic maybe canada We should rename it to leonardo dicaprio
2: oh wouldn't it be the other way around wouldn't canada be the titanic and toronto be leonardo dicaprio which would make vancouver i suppose uh whatever that girl's name was okay yeah rose we have a wonderful guest here today and she is waiting patiently in the waiting room i'm so excited I am so excited. I think everybody that knows her will be excited or knows of her. She is a. I feel people, more people know her than know us. I think that you're right. And that is true. And, and I mean, they should, she's actually doing good on the planet. We're just,
1: you know, she's useful. She's providing value.
2: She is providing value. She is very, very useful. But, but talk about providing value, TK. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The people are here. They want to know what the hell is going on in this real estate market. Like people are saying it's slowing down and the Titanic is making a U-turn right now. People are saying that it is just fine and this is right where we like it. It's on the way to somewhere that's going to be beautiful and it's going to stay there. TK, Mm -hmm. it's Sunday and you're in a t-shirt. Is this a
1: leading indicator? I got I got no appointments today with clients. I just have errands to run. One's a sold sign. One's a uh, you know check in on a vacant house, and um, two two of them are check in on vacant houses. I wonder if we applauded so,
2: the episodes that you wear a T-shirt versus like your work gear. Mm-hmm. If there's a correlation to what the market is doing, the
1: market conditions. I single handedly am M- the um, litmus test, you're of like the Toronto real estate market, the yeah, Canadian real estate market We're the Canadian real estate show, the whole the yeah. whole market depends on which shirt I'm wearing. You're like Wyerton Willie of real estate. I'm, I'm exactly that. Right. And right now, my shadow is really non-existence because of the big, bright. O light ring light in front of me.
2: So what's going on out there? Are we seeing a slowdown? Are things different?
1: I think that because of March break, there was definitely, you know, some, there was less activity on certain listings. There was also less listings coming out than I think will come out next week. Right? So there are people are on March break. There's people who have kids. A lot of people who are buying houses have children. They're at home you know, they don't really have the time to be able to, you know, uh, go out and look at housing and stuff like that too. If you're thinking about selling, you're worried because in years past, everyone used to travel. This year, not a lot of people are traveling, right? So but in years past, this is what people did. So people mm-hmm. were concerned and said, oh, I don't want to go in the market during March break because it might hurt me. So I, I feel that a lot of people are waiting until next week to put their properties up on the market. And um, yeah, the, market to your still, mic. the market still was very, uh, active this week. I mean, and, and the percentage of buyers, like I got this one listing in Ronson's where the percentage of buyers who are coming in are very serious, right? Like they're like a good chunk, like a, a good chunk of the people who've actually shown the property have second showings are calling me, asking me questions. Second showings what's going on. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. Cause you offer a date. You want to come and look at, look at the place twice. Right. So
2: can we, can we rewind? to December when it was the market was blazing and everyone was like, this is a great time during Christmas to like put in offers because maybe nobody else will be active in the market. And now what I'm hearing yeah. is like, you know, it's March break. Things are a little slower. Everybody's
1: kind of chill. I don't know. You no, know, I can only tell you what I know. Now,
2: sounds right? like I can't tell you what I don't to me, know. TK sounds <laughs> like you're spinning something up.
1: I can, anyway. tell you, I can tell you what I know. Percentage of buyers out there that are serious is higher than I've ever seen. <laughs> serious buyers higher, higher than, than I've ever
2: seen? seen or that seen Higher than while. I've ever seen right
1: now. Yeah. All right. That's what it is. The people who are out there, are they mean business. They want to buy. They have investors. serious intentions about buying. Not investors. Not, not investors. Not tire kickers. Not people just going out and looking to find out what their home is worth based on the sales in the area. They're, so, they're serious buyers who have got intent to move. So are there are people they, that are like, this is our chance, like, let's go, let's go. Yes. We've been and, waiting and, for this. And and they want to do the move that they weren't able to do in January, that they weren't able to do last year because of different reasons. And the truth is, Daryl, as long as you are buying and selling in the same market, who cares what the market's doing?
2: Well, as rates are going up, I mean, it, it does affect what you can afford right now. And like everything's okay, but if
0: if
1: you sell. Yeah, And buyers who are buying your house are affected by the rates. What if
2: you sell and they drop out of the deal because all you of a sudden, put your, like.
1: Cool. You better put your, you better put your house on the market as soon as you buy. As
2: soon market. as you buy, buying. Yeah. So strategies are a changing. Winds are a shifting. I can feel it, TK. I think, t- I, think I can we see. see talk through tides. We're talking about
1: Titanic today. The t- Titanic. Tides, the tides are shifting and shifting. The, the waves, the waves are getting higher.
2: That can you hear that yep. wind shifting? Okay, let's get our Few guest effect, in yeah. here because she has been
1: waiting patiently for a
2: while. What's her name on Twitter again? Twitter. She yep. is the Justice Queen.
1: Okay.
2: Do no no. Here she comes. Urban Zen Girl. Oops. Slash Justice Queen in the house.
0: You, Are Shaya. you there.
1: Shasta so, is.
2: So
3: sorry. Yeah. I I I didn't realize I have to start my video. That's,
1: That's
2: okay.
3: okay.
1: Welcome. Welcome.
3: Shasta, <laughs> this you, is
2: thank you, thank KK does that every week too. Yes. Welcome.
3: Finally. Oh, you my, you <screenplay> say my name perfectly.
2: Shasta. Great. Okay. I read oh, your email. Yeah,
1: both yes. That's yes. great. <laughs> and and but but we're at it your pseudonyms. Your pseudonyms, Urban Zen Girl on YouTube and Justice Queen on Twitter. You are the most yeah. popular person we have ever met on the show. Uh, no. You are out there. You are out there. Yes, Everybody you loves you. Absolutely.
3: Oh, thank you. You are
2: fighting. You are fighting for people's rights and you are quite articulate, I must say. Oh, and thank and you. I'll tell you, I mean, I know me and TK appreciate you so much. I don't know if you watched the very first episode, but we feel like you've been around since the very beginning mm. and you have helped us grow with your wonderful comments, and and oh, we hmm. want to tell you that we really appreciate you. And
1: yeah, even not- the time the times where we were feeling like no one's listening, no one cares, they're just commenting and they're watching three minutes, but then you would comment like details on the whole show, and we're like, oh, someone really was paying attention to the to the whole show, and that goes a long way. When you're starting out a channel, it's hard to stay motivated and and feel that like you're doing something good. And
3: we know. Thank- I really enjoy your show and I actually do like I watch the whole thing that's why whenever you guys say nobody watches till the end or something or you're not sure how many people are still watching but I always Mm -hmm. watch like you're one of the few channels that I actually watch the entire (laughs) video we're the longest
1: one
2: thank (laughs) you yeah
1: we're the longest longest
2: (laughs) one yeah it's amazing and and, I mean listen some of the things that you tweet about and you talk about I mean I, I imagine for a lot of people these are these are issues that are very close to home
0: wow. um
2: there's so many and and i mean you're very organized so you sent us out a list of 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 items to talk Typical
1: about urban zen girl
2: <laughs> absolutely i i i think uh I, at least to start i mean you put it on on the list and i think it's a great topic we we see people are now fighting these new um Uh, uh, laneway suites or or garden suites, where where we finally just finally get a policy that kind of makes some sense. And we'll add that. I mean, everybody knows that I don't really like the policy, but it definitely adds housing to the mix. And it's easy and it's quick. And uh, of course, all these uh, NIMBYs are fighting it. So why don't you speak to that for a little bit?
3: Yeah, so I find the garden suite one interesting, because I don't think garden suites are going to, you know, solve our housing crisis. Like, I don't think that a whole bunch of people are going to start building garden suites all over Toronto, and everyone's going to have that, like how people think it's going to be. So I think it's such a small thing to actually add. And the strange thing is that the opposition towards it is so loud. Like, I feel it's a loud minority. I feel like if you look at um, the city surveys and stuff like that, like most people actually would be supportive of garden suites. Most people are supportive of laneway suites. But it's this loud minority that's like, no, we don't want it. But the sad part of it is if they're going to have an opposition to that and be able to appeal that, imagine any other change that could happen that they will appeal like that just goes to show how much power um the loud minority has so that's like I feel like more of the disturbing part of it like no wonder they kind of um oppose every other thing that could happen um in terms of development um and I also feel like for garden suites like it's it's the way that they oppose things right because they're like Oh, you know what? These developers are going to come and they, like, I read one article and they were calling it an eco uh, genocide, like, not genocide, but they called it an ecocide, as if the developers are going to come and kill all the trees. And um, that's what they actually were making videos about in Barrie because uh, the Barrie Residents Association over there was like, oh my God, Toronto, you guys can't be allowing these garden suites over there. So they invited all of these resident associations. And I don't know if you watched um, the video, but Fontra is a big resident association. And that guy invited Barry to do a whole presentation about how this one garden suite disturbed one tree Mm. And that they weren't sure if that person had all the permission to disturb that tree. And then all of like Toronto's associations, like uh, there was one, uh, I think it's Yorkville, that was like, we shouldn't even be included in this garden suite thing. Like, why are they even including us? Like, we don't need garden suite. So we should be declared heritage status. So we don't even get these garden suites in our neighborhood. So it's like a lot of drama, but it's almost like this fear mongering um, and this idea that developers actually want to come in because they want to add all these garden suites to rent out. But it's sort of like how many people actually have uh, like in in terms of like buying investment properties in Toronto and stuff like that, like it's not really cash flow positive right now. I don't see a lot of people going and buying two million dollar homes. To put a garden suite out to rent it out, but
1: shed.
3: I yeah. r- right, but then I do see a garden suite helping a lot of families. I think that, you know, with a- aging in place, and we know that most people want to age in place. Like most people do not want to go into a long-term care home or a retirement home, and um, most people, like after COVID, especially, are not going to want to do that. And contrary to people thinking that, you know, um, as people age, they they move somewhere or something, like everyone thinks that they go to a facility. It's only a minority of people that actually ever leave their home. Most people in Canada age in place, less than 10% ever go anywhere else. So if you have that opportunity, you know, um, uh, your parents or whatever could live in the garden suite, you could live in the house, that opens up an opportunity, right? Um, Or like, you know, with this whole work from home thing, people could have an office there. There's, There's so many opportunities for what a person could do with a garden suite. And the other thing that I find strange about Toronto is that and I'm from Alberta originally, so I have a lot of stuff to say about Toronto and the problems that people have over here in terms we of. We welcome those. Economy. We're the Canadian
1: real estate yes. show. So so we don't, we don't like play favorites.
3: Yeah. So like, like Alberta is actually a very um, conservative province. Like everybody knows that um, Edmonton started having garden suites in 2019. And they've increased building garden suites. Garden suites are absolutely welcome over there. They've done so much awareness about garden suites. They've accepted garden suites. They ended single family home zoning um, in 2019. So they have all these forward thinking things. They get all kinds of architectural awards for buildings and stuff like that. And then you have Toronto, which is, I'm I'm just calling them a lot. Are they short housing out there though? They're not short housing, but, but is it because
2: of the policy or is it because not that many people want to live there or both? Well,
3: I don't think that many people want to live there, but I think what, what, what they're thinking is that we're going to grow and we need to be forward thinking. We need to think about this stuff. We need to think about the environment. We need to think about sprawl ahead of time, it's, it's right? Exactly.
1: Because transit and, and all that kind of stuff, it actually puts strain on the infrastructure in the future, yeah. right? Where you start having to build things further and further out. It actually creates more cost down the road.
3: Right. So like, it's better to think about that ahead of time, because they know they're going to grow, right? Like they are going to grow as time passes, more people will, you know, choose it as a place to go to. Um, But I just find it interesting, because Toronto is predominantly like a lot of liberal voters in Toronto, and they're very progressive, but they're against this idea that will actually help a lot of families and and I'm not saying it's going to change the world. Like, you know what I mean? It's not going to, it's like laneway suites. It's like how many people went and built laneway suites. They're beautiful. They're really nice. They're, they're a good opportunity for some people, but they're just getting scared for no reason, but it just shows how much power they have.
2: Right. And I'm glad that you went right back to that because like you said it, you said the, the loud minority. I mean, this is not even a minority. Like this is so this is like eight people, right? This is like yeah. maybe a hundred people that actually care out of, I don't even know how many people. And I would hazard to get that guess that some of them are not even part of the community that they're fighting for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, so you have like, um, you know, you have these community meetings and there's no positive like there's no positive reinforcement from anybody in the community that like, like, yes, we're totally cool with this thing going here. They are absolutely silent. And you have, you know, 40 people come and say, who knows what, and they're not even from around here. And then those people have the voice because there's, the opposition is completely silent. Right. So, so you're kind of, on the inside, and you're, you're an activist for this, Like, why do we give them such a loud voice when, I mean, we all know I'm no genius. Everybody knows there's only a, f- a handful of these people that care. Why, why are they so strong?
3: So I think that they're str- like, I, th- I actually believe that they've always been strong. And I think that if we look back at history and we look at and I, I talk about this a little bit sometimes on my Twitter feed, because I find it interesting is restrictive covenants and that we do have a history of that in Toronto. We have a history of that in Ontario. We have a history of that in North America, where we would say that there are certain people that can't live in this neighborhood. And it was open. People would put up signs saying that Jewish people cannot live In this neighborhood, Uh, there was court cases over this. There was um, a a woman, um, it it was in Lake Huron area. She wanted to sell one of her properties to a Jewish man. They went to court over this, and the Superior Court actually said, no, because he's Jewish, he cannot buy that property. And and a lot of the uh, Jewish websites in in Canada that talk about anti-Semitism, like they have this in their history and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's all documented, like people can still look up those restrictive covenants. And then eventually the, the premier of Ontario said, no, this has no place in Ont- Ontario. It was probably, I think, in, I can't remember what year that was in where the premier came and said, you can't do that anymore. So I do feel that it's interesting because even back then it was neighborhood, like neighbors that said, we don't want these people in our neighborhood. I do feel like we don't have anything directly like that today. It's not like people go around saying you can't live here because you're this background or you're this religion. Um, But I do think in many ways we do block people out because if we're gonna say, you know what, Yellow Belt for for example in Toronto, only like 60%, 62% of the land there is only for single family detached homes. So by saying we're not going to build any other kind of home there, you are saying that other people are are not welcome because, you know, say a person income-based
1: discrimination.
3: It is. It's like socioeconomic discrimination. Um, And then basically those people have to keep moving further and further out. Maybe they do want to be in Toronto or maybe they want their child to go to a certain school. Maybe they want their child to be in a certain neighborhood. People have preferences, but they're not able to because Mm -hmm. of that. And the other interesting thing about it is that historically, like you look at a neighborhood like Parkdale, when the deinstitutionalization happened in CAMH, people were sent to Parkdale. They had grooming houses, they had halfway houses, they had multi-family homes. And then it was NIMBYs who came in and said, well, we don't want all these single people with mental health issues in our neighborhood. Like we have kids, we have families, this should be for more families, so then they gentrified the neighborhood and it's ironic because the same NIMBYs that gentrified neighborhoods and said that we don't want these people in our neighborhood. Now, when developers come in, they scream and they say, this is gentrification. Why are you kicking these people out of the neighborhood? You're <laughs> they're the too one- rich. We don't
1: want those people. We want the people in the middle. Okay. Not, not here, not there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So
3: I, I feel like, like it's always been there. And the reason they have that power is because they're given that power by the city, the city Has these policies in place has these consultations with no regard for the fact that there's no um, there's there's no equitable consultation there like that consultation process is not equitable it doesn't represent the voices of the neighborhoods like if a person is like say a single mother, and they're working two jobs. They're not going to have two hours to come and sit on a consultation meeting, Um, you know, like a a new immigrant who might be like working different shift work or whatever. Like these are all people that are not included. A lot of young people who are really busy in their life, they're not going to go sit there for two hours in these meetings. So the meetings are dominated by homeowners who are predominantly a little bit older. And you can see that in their, you know, their in-person ones when they used to take pictures of their stuff. It's a bunch of old people sitting there. Um, so I feel like the city has to do a revamp of the consultation process and um, Edmonton, which is where I grew up um, a few years ago, they actually, um, the University of Edmonton or whatever, or sorry, University of Alberta, did an entire uh, research project on the city on the consultation process, Interviewed people about how to make it more equitable, how do you get more voices in Toronto, for example, is now saying, why do we have to have this virtual format? The residents associations are saying, they're saying that that excludes them. So they're actually saying they want to go back to in-person because they know if they go back to in-person, other people are going to have a harder time coming to them. Cause right now in Toronto, there are people that join in on the meetings and do say, I want this development. There are people that actually do come and, and, and there's group like.
2: Who? Okay. I was okay. I know of one person for sure that does, but they're an anomaly. And I mean, th- they might be in many other meetings out there right. advocating.
1: It's hard but- It's hard to imagine someone with no connection to the development itself that would show up to say yes. It's hard so, for it's, me to picture that.
3: Well, So there is or, that.
1: Right. Okay. okay. The,
3: the group, more neighbors. So they do have a calendar. And sometimes when you go on the call, there are like five of them on there.
1: They
2: yeah, they so this started is organization I think that. Yeah, that group. I, I could have the used Yimbies. them.
3: The Yim- they're nimbies,
2: yeah. but they're extreme also. I mean, I follow them and I've been in rooms with them and they are like literally the extreme opposite of NIMBYs. And that's
1: what we need to fight Nimbis, Daryl.
2: No, you, you, you need to fight both. fire with fire. You need them both to understand that they're both the problem, right? Yeah. And this is the biggest problem. This is the solution to the whole thing is that everybody's a big problem. And every angle of this thing is a big problem. And and the bigger problem is that like, nobody is going to tackle this thing because it's too big. And, and, and unfortunately, what's probably going to happen is like it will crumble to the ground and have to be put back together because this is way bigger than anybody currently is willing i think to even try pierre polievre he talks a big game but like we all know how much power the prime minister actually has with all this stuff
1: what, what right. what's the process for for me and for everybody listening who's not as familiar with the process there's a project that gets introduced and the application gets submitted and it's like you know, well within most of the guidelines, there's some variance. There's a few things that you know are, are maybe typical. It's a typical ask for a developer to to bring to the table, and there's a huge opposition from the community. Like, what do the what do the city planners do? Like, eventually, the city planners have to ignore what the community is saying because it's for the greater good, right? Or is it? Stri- or no. eventually, they have to agree in with which, the community because the community is saying we don't want this. Like, what level they,
2: of in the current is, system? Is Yeah, in the current system, they have to appease the public. They have to make it seem like they're taking into consideration what they need, right? And and so what you have is like, if all you have is negative pressure, and there's, right, like there's one guy going like this, trying to hold it up while everybody else is in opposition, and then all the education has to keep public opinion as part of their uh, process and decision-making, you can't help but to get dragged down, right? So the whole process, is instead of, you know, everybody figuring out, like, how do we come to a happy medium where there's actually more affordable housing that people can afford and it happens quickly and people are okay with it, it's just like, yes, no, yes, no! And then people talking about it all day who... Right. That, that that's what we're we're just stuck in this entire cycle that has currently no end other than.
3: Mm. Yeah. And I agree with you, Daryl, because like I've always said, I don't identify as being a yimbi, and some of the yimbis get upset because I say I'm not one, but I'm not one because I also feel like there are extremes on both sides like they have to come to some sort of a balance because if you look at the, the YIMBY movement and I've called them out on this on Twitter um, when, when Margaret Atwood was, you know, when they were tweeting out at Margaret Atwood, you know what, that's a very influential Canadian, you know what, she's a respectable person and yes, she probably has done some NIMBY things, but she's not the person to go and attack. I, I mean, you know what, you're going to go on her Twitter page she's an old woman. Eventually she said something like, don't worry when I die, you can do whatever you want on my piece of land. And I just don't think you're going to get like influence or you're going to get people to agree with you if you're going to go and attack people. There's been some very respectable people on Twitter, you know, who are very respectable in the community and stuff like that, who, you know, they'll go and they'll attack them endlessly. And it will be like 20 of them just show up on a, on a thread and the thread will go on for days. Like it doesn't even stop. It's like never ending. Stop! what I
1: get blocked for going under all these.
2: Yeah. these anonymous
1: blocked. handles yeah, yeah. All these anonymous handles people just get to say whatever they want yeah. and
3: predominantly like so my problem is like they're predominantly men going and 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 exerting whatever their views are like there's very few like if you look at that movement, there's very few girls. Like when you even look at their threads, whatever they're talking about. And I remember I even put that out on a, to, to like more neighbors, actually, like I said, that why are a whole bunch of men going and attacking Margaret Atwood? Like, I do think that's a relevant point. They all started getting upset at me for asking them why a whole bunch of men were going on her thread. But I said, I do think it's a relevant topic. Like you can't have a movement of all men talking about housing issues anything
2: yeah, anything, anything. <laughs> they <laughs> definitely will not end up with any
1: productivity
2: no support
3: definitely no success from the public <laughs> yeah. yeah so i do feel like they they, they need a balance because w- what ends up happening is that the yimbys are are fighting with the nimbys and then there's also this other group called the finbies
2: yeah you put that oh. in there and i, oh, feel right. I don't know this, this the one loop i feel okay all right so this, with a uh, ph
3: yeah, public okay. housing in my backyard, because that becomes an issue, right? Because again, they want
2: public housing. I doubt it.
3: Well, well, they're fighting for public housing. It's almost they, like public housing in your backyard, right? Like okay. we need more public housing. Because yeah, even makes the, yeah. that makes sense. That makes
1: sense that that would be a movement. People, right? Can, but they want it in their neighborhood, or they want it in your neighborhood. I don't think it's these people like, have a neighborhood. I think but they just want looking. more.
3: They just want more. <laughs> yeah. More. Want more. Well, it's just like a lot of the people that are the yes in my backyard are not necessarily from those neighborhoods, right? But they it's yeah. almost like the, there's Lost another move, There's another movement called yes in your backyard. Yes. I think that one <laughs> makes more sense, <laughs> right? Like yes in your backyard. But what, what ends up happening is the Yimbies want more market rate housing and then these Bimbies want more social housing. Oh. <laughs> and the nimbys want no housing <laughs> but daryl's right they all go around in these circles and then i think you also have to wonder of, of like who's to blame in all of this so you get into these fights with random people fighting about housing and they're not holding the government accountable like they have oh, to hold it's the developers
2: it's always developers and realtors and the ca- investors the councillors
1: the, yeah. the ca- the are really the ones who are supposed to be you know refereeing all this stuff right it's like the councillors i think are not doing their job as far as they're communicating
2: exactly doing their job they're going with their constituents the ones that yeah. have a voice the ones that are the loudest
1: yeah but they, the ones they they need that need to, they're afraid they, of they need too. to. they need to, exactly so they need to figure out how to get past the political pressure and to be able to understand what's you
2: know that was in that was in community. that was in the uh housing plan or the uh, the the what's it called plan the the, the unti-
3: task force plan the yeah, task force like, I think- plan
2: get rid of all that shit was basically yeah. like a, a section of it. The well, council should Lavoie, have like
1: three vetoes a year, you know. Like they should have three opportunities a year to no, use there's, those. There's, you know,
2: but they're saying no public consultation; it's unnecessary. Like, get rid of it
1: or that. Yeah.
2: That, yeah, that, it, well, and good, I feel yeah.
3: like if the province actually took that away from the city then the city councillors could just say, oh, it's not my fault, constituents. Like the province decided that this development is going here or whatever, or there's no like more minimal public consultation because, you know, uh, there was that uh, modular housing unit in Willowdale, so 59 units that were created to put um, in front of kind of like a a senior's residence. What's the the
2: councillor's name in that word there?
3: Uh, That one, uh, Stan Cho, Stan Cho.
2: No, there was one. I, I see you constantly attacking one of them
3: Steve for Clark. this.
2: Yes, Steve that's Clark. it. Yes. I,
3: I attacked the housing minister for Wait, it. Has he
2: blocked you? Has he blocked you yet?
3: No, no. Wow, Steve. I can't believe no, it. Because you know what? It's like funny. I can
2: take a lick
3: it's funny because provincial government and I work with I told you I work with the provincial government. Yeah. They don't block very few of them. I, I think in the past I've been blocked one time by somebody, the secretary of cabinet, but other than that, they don't block but the city councilors block because
2: he's Mat blocked me she yeah, Didn't because- like what I had to say about her reign in uh, power.
3: Because their integrity commissioner is different, like the way that their code of ethics works. So in provincial uh, provincial politics, they're more hesitant to block people. In the city, because I talked to the integrity commissioner because I had two of them block me. And I actually went to the integrity commissioner and I filed a report. And I said that, you know what, you need to change this because people should be able to say what they want. I commented about inclusionary zoning. They didn't like what I had to say. Mike Layton and Josh Matlow, they both blocked me. (laughs) Right. As long as it's not
1: abusive, you should be there, should be no restrictions on the public communicating, whether it's through Twitter or email or phone. Like, that's exactly what they got into politics for. And nothing
3: I said was abusive. And I actually met with the integrity and everything. But then I said, you know, I'm not pursuing this because I don't want to get in anybody in trouble for this or whatever. But I just want you to change your, you know, policy on this, right? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. One way
2: voice, one way voice, like don't go on Twitter or give people a chance to reciprocate.
3: Yeah. And if even if you, if you don't agree, just have a conversation like a lot of the other counselors will actually have conversations with people. But yeah, Steve Clark, I went after because his role in the modular housing was the modular housing was supposed to happen. There's 59 modular units that are sitting on a TTC parking lot while people are freezing in the streets. Um, but he wouldn't sign the MZO order or whatever. He was supposed to sign that order to allow those to be used. But he's not doing it because Why? Stan Cho wrote a letter. Stan Cho is the counselor, or he's, a not, he's not the counselor. He's the MP, like the member of parliament, like for the Ontario government. So, this is like a conflict of interest. So, you're going to the housing minister saying, Well, we didn't have enough time to actually talk about this and have public consultations. And I went to the whole point of the
2: MZO, That's the whole point of the MZO, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, You don't have to go through that.
2: And
3: I went to the public uh, consultation for that one, and people were so ignorant. Like, people were like, oh, you want to have this in Willowdale? I want to see you build something like this in in Rosedale. Why does Rosedale not have this? First, go to Rosedale. Like, people just have those kinds of comments, comments about the types of people that are going to be living there. They had protests. But they had so long to consult about that
2: is this the it, property on Wilmington that big Willowdale empty, but it's in Willowdale what street is it on
3: you know what a comer 175 comer Street Homer. and it, it's actually like just a plot of land that's part of the seniors residence so it's it's like literally next to a senior's residence. So, I mean, they had concerns that what kind of people are you going to be bringing into this neighborhood because it's a senior residence. These are vulnerable people. But the, the stuff like that does exist, like, you know, in Toronto, like like in the core and stuff like that, like not modular housing units, but you do have a mixture of, you know, different people um, of living in a neighborhood. But mm-hmm. you're never going to address, like, you know, unhoused people and, and, like, you know, low-income housing and stuff like that if you're always going to say we don't want it. In our neighborhood, my gym, right?
1: uh, one of the gyms that I go to in North York on uh, McNichol, um, next door the the industrial building was sold, uh, maybe not sold, but maybe leased. I, I didn't look into it. To the city of Toronto, and it's going to become a homeless shelter. And it looks right. beautiful. The way that they're revamping this building is absolutely gorgeous. And I I told the owner, I said, like, you know, this is not going to be like you know, region park homeless people. Like this is going to be like a shelter for people who need help. And it's going to be very organized. And it's, you're barely going to notice that anybody going in and out there is having struggles in their life. He's like, nope, no, that's it. And he's moving his gym because it was right across the street. And he felt that just hearing the word that it was going to be a shelter would be people's cars are going to get broken into and all sorts of stuff. And there's a huge misconception on basically everything. That's not what you're used to.
3: Oh, for right. sure. Like uh, Lee side, they did a, a just a prank where, where this shelter put up a sign saying, we're going to be building a shelter here. And they started getting all these phone calls and people were like, why are you bringing that to our neighborhood? Our property values are going to go down. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. And it, it, they basically showed this whole video to show like what impact that actually has on people. They weren't going to like actually build the shelter, but yeah. it was just to That's show, yeah. you know, the, the impact. Social
1: experiment. Yeah,
3: like I, I worked uh, in a uh, Victorian mansion years ago in, in mm-hmm. Summer Hill, and it was like uh, in the middle of a very rich neighborhood. And we had a program for women coming out of jail that had addiction issues. And mm-hmm. that would not be okay today. Like, no one in Summer Hill is going to say, Yeah, you can buy that house and make it into an addictions program for women coming out of prison. But yeah. somehow that happened. Um, the woman that bought that property it was like probably 1982 or something. Like it was a long time ago and it still exists, but yeah. the neighbors. But that's were- the neighborhood
1: to actually do it in. Right. Because these are the neighborhoods that, you know, people coming out of, you know, troubling times need to be put into to be able to have the, the best chance of success. There was an indigenous women's um, shelter or, or maybe housing unit on Kingston road near, Midland, you know, something like that. And and again, same same thing, you know, the all the neighbors and everybody else. They're passing around, they're passing around like pamphlets and, and and advertisements and all this kind of stuff, as if like, you know, um, what's his name? Like like a like a mass murderer or something like that is moving into the neighborhood, right? And everybody should know, right? Like it's like it's it's just it's sad to see how people really view the, the, you know, right? And it's, and it's unfortunate because they all, they're like, no, they're having a, a tough time. We'll go stick them with all the other people having the tough time. Well, that's exactly what's going to lead them to having more tough times. Like there's no other way around this other than to be able to sort of integrate people. And unfortunately that's,
3: um, that, that should be another thing that should be not, not uh, community oriented right yeah so um like with that particular program was interesting because the neighbors were all really nice like they probably weren't nice when the place was built or whatever but when it actually got into the community like those neighbors would come over with like donations all kinds of presents for the women like they they would do that kind of stuff and no one would ever have known because like um it was an abstinence-based program like People weren't allowed to use any kind of substances in that program, but once they were done with our program, they would have to go back like downtown to like the worst parts of downtown. And then they would start using again. Right. They wouldn't have that opportunity because they would just go back to their place wherever um, they, they started using, but that's where their permanent housing would be. Right. Or or whatever long-term housing that they would have over there. Yeah. Yeah. no, that's So, I mean, you have, so you have
2: areas of downtown that are, you know, not the nicest areas to walk through when it's dark, right? Known for having drugs all over the place, uh, some pretty sketchy people.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Is this like policy driven stuff? I mean, a lot of these areas now are getting, uh, 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 you know, uh, reborn. But Mm -hmm. like, are all of these, like, did downtown go to hell because of policy housing policy and did it get reborn because of policy or like what the hell's going on and, and uh, i mean we see the trajectory of pricing it none of this stuff seems to affect pricing right
3: no and that's the thing like sometimes like um you know people will say like should i buy in this area like should i buy in moss park because it's so terrible and it might be like lower on the list of where you should buy right but it the prices still go up it's still desirable to people people still even in region park right like people some people that are living in the penthouses there have spent like a lot of money on their properties and are still buying and the prices are really great
2: so so where's the incentive okay this is what this is the problem i think where i know what incentivizes me as a developer right i know what incentivizes a realtor as a real estate agent right? I know it incentivizes employees. What incentivizes the government to make any changes? Like, are they suffering financially? Are their homes under, like, do you see what I'm, where is the incentive for them? Re- to re-election actually, is always, is always no, but, the incentive. but re-election is constantly uh, 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 the, the loud minority pushing some agenda because you think, these, these guys are looking for ways to bring revenue into their wards. And I mean, add 400 people paying land transfer tax, uh, you know, land taxes and more jobs. and like this is the, I imagine if a ward counselor was really thinking about the economics of their ward, the more development, the better, right?
3: It is for them. Like it is better. But I think that if they like in Toronto, they have like unlimited terms, like some of those counselors have been for a long time. It's not like, you know, you have this many terms and you can leave. So they just keep wanting to get elected. That's what I think it comes down to. And I think that's why the province has to take it away. And the province has to make those strict rules. And um, I know one of their rules is going to be like if if that task force plan gets implemented, that if a uh, building is 30% affordable, there's no appeals. And then also like increasing the, the price on appeals, right? Like it's not $400, it's $10,000. Although I think like some of these resident associations would still... <laughs> Pay the ten thousand dollars, like they who go cares? in their
2: pocket for the ten grand. Nothing.
3: Yeah, the so one I mean, leading
2: the charge will pay. Anything. You know, it's a,
1: it's a, it's, a, it's a, it's something to think about, right? If you increase it that much, right? It's yeah, definitely, be, we'll like, think
2: about it now. It'll
1: save, it'll save taxpayer money overall because any of those appeal hearings, I'm sure, and developers' money too. What, what's an extra six months cost you, Darrell? It's Insane.
2: It depends, right? Look, on a small deal, it's half a million dollars.
1: Yeah. Right. So just to, to not just have to go through some BS appeal, I think would, would be beneficial as well. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. And I do think- it's so crazy. I I do think like the public consultation process, like I I do think it's democratic. Like, I do think that people have a right to like, you know what I mean? Like have that discussion. My problem with it really is like, do you have to keep having meetings and discussing things? Like how many times do you actually have to consult? on Like there's, there's some development. There was some development they were talking about in, in Mississauga that's on the lake that that's had 16 years of back and forth consultations. I'm not sure what that, that area like that development is, but they don't want it to look like Humber Shores. Like the residents there don't want it to become another Humber Shores. But when I read that that was going on for 16 years, like yeah. no shovels in the ground and it's been 16 years, that, that that's a problem, right? Yeah. It's like,
1: a big problem. Big waste of resources. What so, do you think about like cancel culture right now? Like you, you've got the experience you've, you've been following this type of, Uh, you know, community involvement for a long time. Has anything changed over the last five years now that the whole cancel culture and, uh, you know, social justice warrior type of motif is out there? Like, is there is there a difference now or is this just the exact same thing? And I'm just noticing it now for the first time.
3: Uh, You know what? I, I don't like this cancel culture. It really bothers me. Okay. Like, I don't know if you're for cancel culture or
1: not. No, no, I don't think anybody's really for okay. cancel culture. I think they just want to cancel certain people at, at certain times. Yeah. But overall, the movement, I don't think anybody could just I, I don't
3: th- it's I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it changes anything. I think that it, it, it shuts down conversations. Um, like I've done a lot of um, anti-racism training um, throughout my career. And I, I've seen it in Alberta and I've seen it in Ontario. And in Alberta, when you have anti-racism training, people say what they want and you want them to say what they want because you that's where you want to have the discussion. You don't want people sitting in a room of silence scared. Oh, my God, if I say something, you know, I could get fired or if I say something wrong, you do it in Ontario. It is a room of silence where sometimes you have to fight with people just to get them to talk. I loved the conversations I had in Western Canada when we did like anti-racism training and stuff like that. Like, I remember one time I, I came and I uh, wore a, a niqab. So, uh, I mean, I covered everything but my eyes and I just walked in the room and I just said, what do you guys think of me? Like, I'm <laughs> going <laughs> to yeah. have my friend, like my friend, my class, write it on the board, all the thoughts that come to your mind. But I want you to be 100% honest. And people said the craziest things and the the rudest things. And I said, I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. When you see a woman wearing this in public, just say Mm -hmm. whatever comes to your mind. If I I did that in Ontario, they would all be silent because they don't want to be polite. Oh, we can't say nothing. It's going to hurt her feelings. Or, you know, I don't want to really say how I feel. So I don't agree with cancel culture. I don't think it changes conversations um like like for me like if 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 a person um like like say a person does like start having like racist things that they're saying or whatever that's like more of the person i'd i'd want to focus on to to have a conversation with you know not to say you know what so and so i think you should just be canceled now you know you said that that thing wrong or whatever so I don't think it changes anything. I think it, it it's actually scaring people. And and you're right. Only certain people get canceled. Other people don't get canceled. And yeah, who like, started who started this culture? Actually, like I don't even know where did it come from. Like, Californians, in terms, Twitter.
1: Like, you it, it Everything has to be in Twitter, and then they test it and then they release it to the world. That would make
2: be. that would make Twitter is from California.
1: Cal-
3: see, and oh.
2: Twitter causes some serious. Discussions. That's for damn sure.
3: But you see, yeah. Twitter, I Faceless. find this. I find Twitter interesting because Twitter, it's like you say anything on Twitter, these people come after you. Like the, the other day I posted something about inflation and how inflation affects like low-income Canadians. Um, and I tweeted out to uh Justin Trudeau, Pierre Plavira, I can never say his name, right? Uh Patrick Brown. Uh, Jean Charest, and um, I don't know who the other person is running for the Conservatives, doesn't matter. Yeah. but anyways, a bunch of people from the Conservative Party as well, I had multiple people start coming after me on Twitter saying, why are you talking to the Conservatives? How do they know what my beliefs are? Like, just because I talk about social justice doesn't you. mean yeah. that, that I'm liberal, right? It, it, it doesn't mean that I agree with liberals, right? I could be from any political party.
2: I can't even believe that we have like these political parties that have names that people are like affiliated with and feel allegiance to that. It's like
1: it's the most great that I
2: agree with all of this stuff. Maybe I should call myself this for a little while now. It's like people have gone absolutely bananas. This whole planet is absolutely bananas. So, okay, we see all the problems. They're evident. Are there solutions that are actually possible in the near term that can have an effect instantly for the better of this like market economy, um, planet? Like, there's well, got to be stuff.
3: I read something um that uh, was in the news that is about on Monday they're having a meeting to increase the mortgage amount for people from like 1 million to 1.25 million like this is part of Trudeau's I thought that was getting squashed. squashed. I thought
2: that was getting squashed.
3: That's they're that's having, a
2: deadly move right.
3: They they're having a meeting apparently I guess with the government on this on Monday like the, really? the mortgage CMHC can collect
1: more more premiums like that but it, that's will up,
3: it, it will push up it will push up Prices, right? Like that's one of the. It'll things it'll things.
1: leverage people more, right? right? So it'll give people access to more money, right?
2: It'll just allow people that need a little bump to actually buy something, the ability to do it. But it pushes up the per that it, push, it pushes up the average price because but now let's, people let's can talk pay about, more.
1: Let's talk about all the federal policies that they've introduced over the last <sighs> few years like the first time a home buyer program, I, none of them have worked so far, right? Like none no. of them have actually, none of them have actually been able to be implemented so far. Nevermind worked to, to cool or heat up the market, whatever their plan was. None of them have even, they don't even get used, right? And they spend how many millions of dollars on the studies and how many millions of dollars on the meetings and how many millions of dollars on the marketing of it. And then it just doesn't get used. So I think they'll probably create some sort of uh, guidelines that again, will make this almost useless. Uh, to be honest with you, because there's very few people, very few people who would qualify for that. Think about to right. qualify for an insured mortgage. So already at 20% down, million uh, dollar uh, purchase price, right? So now that's mm-hmm. the 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 baseline for that. Or or say 999 thousand dollars. You got to do five percent on the first 500, ten percent on the next. So let's say you've got a 900, you know, thousand dollar mortgage, give or take. You know, you're talking about like 170, eighty thousand dollars income without any debt whatsoever to qualify. So this is not a huge chunk of the population. So that's no. that requirement, that income requirement will actually be even greater if you go over a million dollars at a high ratio mortgage. So now it's like, okay, if you got 200K income and you got no down payment, then you get to get this mortgage. Like who does that really help?
3: Right. Yeah. I actually read a stat the other day and I was surprised because I thought people in Toronto made more money, but only like, like less than 5% of Toronto's population actually makes over hundred thousand. So sales. I don't even know who's going to be able to buy all the properties now, like in the future. The, the like, people I, I, I,
1: yeah, the people, but the sellers that I deal with, none of them qualify for the houses that they're selling. Right. None of them like zero. Right. Like they, wouldn't be able to buy,
3: they wouldn't be able to buy that house. Right. Like that's a, the a thing. So I don't know how, how people are going to afford it, but I do think the government has to do something. I don't think that they're going to do much because i look back and sometimes i read like old articles from like even the 70s and 80s and they were talking about like housing crisis issues even back then like yeah, i was 40, gonna say 50 yeah. years ago so they just talking. even
2: go back look at new york 30 40 years ago 50 years ago they must have been having these conversations like who's yeah. gonna buy all this crap we're at like 300 bucks a foot right now, hmm. the, right?
1: the ratios, they've been talking about the ratios for forever. As long as the ratios have been calculated, the ratios didn't make sense, right? Somebody's
2: always... going to figure out a way that we can all afford more shit for less money. They always do, right? As cars got more expensive, they figured it, like, they're going to figure out a way for us hmm. to somehow fractionally own stuff and who knows what. But, like, there has to be a chopping process again, which... Might actually be adding, you know, four units onto a single family uh, 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 property, right?
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. we love the the, um, expanding housing options in neighborhoods. I think that that's, I I, I hope this is not a useless policy that nobody uses because it's got the potential to be. But I hope that it actually comes to fruition the way that we want it to.
2: I just see it affecting the purchase price considerably when all of a sudden you can look at it as four doors instead of one door at least for some part of the population and so some people are going to look at it like you know if i turn it into four then the cap rate is this and this thing is worth 3.2
1: some million charges though there's a lot of there's a lot of things there I've doesn't been it. it doesn't it's matter it doesn't matter
2: it's still, it happens already. It's going to happen when, it, when they open the floodgates and say everything out there that was one can be four. Trust me, there's a lot of people that are going to sit there and figure out a way to, to make money off of that. And that will 100% push up prices in neighborhoods because if you're, if you're looking at it as a $2.2 million investment and the, the, the end user is looking at it as one unit worth $1.7 million, like how can you compete that that the investor now can probably get it for 1.8 million overpay, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's worth 2.2 instantly, right? The way he's looking at it. So there's no way it can't push up pricing this policy. It will, it will 100%, at least initially it's gonna give it a bump like crazy as all those uh, investors come in to, to, to push up the pricing. I, I think, I mean, I don't know how else that works.
3: But those properties are quite expensive, like in terms of development fees. Like I I was told that they have some of the highest development fees. So I wonder if the city would ever decrease the development fees for people.
2: Maybe, but I look the people, the the investors that are ruining the market right now. Like they're not even looking at houses like that, and they're not making like they're not cash flowing unless they've paid right. cash for them right so So the mentality of it needing the cash flow isn't in the equation it it's hasn't is, been yeah. right yeah it so it will have an effect that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about, but it's good, it creates more housing, but it will have those consequences to the price. It's gonna be a real hard trap to get out of price, I think, unless the market just Completely tanks. So, so where are we right now? Even from your point of view, are we in a good market? Are we in a, a weaker market? Is it wh- where do you think we're at right now? I don't know your- because
3: every day people are changing their minds. Right, like uh, some people think that the market is cooling. Other people are very adamant that it's not cooling. I don't, I don't know because I, I noticed that my my neighbor tried to sell her place. And the other two that sold their places before, because I live in a condo townhouse, they sold it very quickly in January and February. It was like, it went, it was so hot. It was gone, like whatever, like in two days, both of them. And then she tried to sell hers and she, she couldn't sell it. She wanted a bidding war. So she put it on a little bit lower and then she relisted it at the price she wanted. And then she relisted it again at the lower price. But she ended up getting more than the other guy that sold in the hot. You know what I mean? It's very Mm -hmm. bizarre. So I feel like people are still buying, but maybe they're like the the person is still getting like a good price. It's not like they're getting like a a bad price. It's not like I I don't see anything going on with the prices.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how I'm seeing it right now. That story of your neighbor is indicative of like the market itself. It's just yeah. timing, which buyers coming in, how many showings are you going to get? You know, what was the strategy? How, how did the agent position it? All those type of things. But in the end, sellers aren't accepting less money than what their neighbors got. And they yeah. either get the same close to, or even a little bit more, depending on the circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> like
3: she got a little bit more and she didn't even have like, um, like, like the other guy had like hardwood floors throughout and all that kind of stuff. And she had like carpet still on, mm-hmm. on two of the floors. So I, I was kind of surprised that she. Even got more than the last guy, anyways, because you know her her townhouse isn't as nice looking, but she still got a good price. But she just had to wait longer. Like I think she sold it, and it took her maybe like mm, I would say three weeks, and it took the other people like you know a few days. But it's three weeks even bad
2: No, not for no, not places. with that circumstance.
1: Yeah, no, not when you're doing yeah. an offer date. That's already a week off the table, and then you've got some negotiations and different things for for a couple of weeks. That's. Uh, no big deal. Yeah. And so, what do you think? What do you think then? Do you think that the Toronto market right now is poised for you know a correction, or do you feel like it's it's one of those markets that you know are going to just maintain that steady course of of increases? And you know, we live in the greatest uh, city in the world
3: yeah i think toronto is the center of the universe personally like i really do feel that way um like i i mean i love toronto and i i think toronto actually like i remember when the pandemic started there were homes that would like this was when everybody was bidding up in durham and all these other places like there were some homes that would sit for um like a few months and not even sell because people i guess weren't as interested in these homes in toronto and these particular up-and-coming areas so i think like toronto if you look at the increases, even they haven't increased in terms of a percentage as much as those other areas have, although Toronto was more expensive to begin with. Um, right. But I think exactly. that if, if any correction happens, it would happen in some far off areas like Bankrupt, I've even
0: seen, maybe Bankrupt. i've
3: seen some posts of people on on reddit and stuff and they're coming and they're posting and they're actually worried because they're like you know they live in some area that's hours away from toronto and they're actually saying they're worried about the future like are they even going to get the price that it is today because if a correction happens and they're wondering if they should sell their place and now move to toronto so, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think the market is crazy. Like I, I personally was looking to buy something, uh, um, recently and I was like, I'm not even going to buy in this market. <laughs>
0: I'm not, I'm not it, is a, it is a tough
1: market to stomach. I think that investors, that's why they're out right now. And if yeah, you're yeah. looking to live in a house, then what are you worried about? Like, you know, buy the house, buy the, buy the condo, yeah. get into the market. You're going to be there for a while like we know that the houses and, and and the value of of toronto real estate is going to continue to be there whether it changes course a little bit here and they're like we're not going to lose values in toronto all of a sudden like it just that doesn't yeah. stand a chance to happen no. um and oh, if you need a place sure. to live I, why are you
3: yeah being rent, and right? i just per- personally i just don't like bidding like i don't like bidding mm-hmm. wars i i know that they're You're okay to participate in and i i did participate yeah. in one when i when i got my place but when I bought before, I never, you know, went into a bidding war and it was way more comfortable. Um, And then I, I kind of regret not uh, buying in the summertime because in the summertime in Toronto for condos, it wasn't, you know, that bad with the bidding.
2: Canadian yeah. real estate prices expected to drop 24% can crash 40%. <clears throat> So and then we we see on Twitter people are quick to go yeah but if it crashes twenty four percent who cares that was three months ago
3: yeah I I I don't know like I just feel like we have too much demand for it to crash a significant amount you know I do think that we have a lot of demand in Canada and look at people are now bidding up in Alberta like they're bidding up in Edmonton they're bidding up in Calgary like their prices are going up now like and then and then you're bringing in immigrants. Right, people are, need a place to to live, and and we don't have, um, like you know, we don't have the tradespeople to really build as much housing as we need. The, you know, Canada, part of Trudeau's plan is to build uh, 1.4 million homes across Canada. Like, who's going to build all those homes? So I just don't know how much, how 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 low did it go? Like, I just I don't know. I I think people are still buying like crazy. Just I mean maybe. give me like
2: like a hundred acres and no rules and regulations, and I will build so many houses your head would spin.
3: Well, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, when you look at the, the the whatever the policies that are in place and and all the delays and all the back and forth, it's mind boggling. Like, I don't even know how people deal with it. Like, I don't even know how developers could deal with um, that kind of a system. It's
2: crazy. <laughs> but it, Really? I mean, you want to fix it. It's like, OK, here, all resources into housing go like here. You see that big empty plot of land right there in Saskatchewan. Let's build like a million homes right now right? Oh, see that thing over there in Winnipeg? Boom. Million houses right there. Everybody go free land. Go. We're going to give subsidies on lumber. We're going to give subsidies on steel. We're going to give like, just get this shit built already. It could be done.
3: Well, yeah. If they just said, look, these are the rules and, and, you know, you have to follow these rules and then just let people build and, and also let people have autonomy over their land. Like if a person has a home, and they want to sever it and they want to make two homes and and they have a big enough lot to do it I, yeah. I i don't see why a person shouldn't be allowed to do something like that like why does that have to be such an uphill battle as long as they meet the rules you know it, it, it doesn't look ridiculous whatever but even that can be a huge dilemma like impossible where people only want to try to do it and the costs are so high right
2: ve- listen it, it... Eventually, you get those two houses at uh, Leslie and Lawrence that were, you know, those blue and purple stucco, weird square and circle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eventually, somebody figures out how to build those with with all the regulations. But you know what the best regulation is? Hey, guess what? If your product sucks, nobody's going to pay for it because there's all of this competition out there for what you're actually producing. So hmm. either produce something people want or yours will just sit there and you will be out of business pretty quickly. Right. Build something yep. people want and they will buy it. Yeah. It's simple. I was at a,
1: I was at a place, I was at a place uh, this weekend and um, you know, poor guys got some, you know, struggling uh, situations in, in his life and everything else too. And he's been trying to build this house since 2008. And I, and I mean that he's been trying to build this house since 2008 and he's living in it and it's just a disaster it's just a disaster. Like it's just, it needs to be, it needs to be torn down. Like that's, that's where it's at right now. You know? So there is, unfortunately, like you said, at Leslie and Lawrence's there's always going to be somebody who has got more dreams than, than skills. Right. And they've got more money than connections and unfortunately this stuff gets built. So I do understand I'm not a NIMBY, but I, I also believe in like regulation. I also believe that the city should have conformity that we should have you know, something that people from 100 years from now will look back and say, wow, because there's a ton of stuff that we look at that was done 100 years ago, or maybe even 50 years ago, especially in the 70s. The 70s, I think, was horrible. Yeah. But there's a ton of stuff that I look at. Like, Who is allowed to build this garbage? Right. And and I'm sure that these are all the lessons. That but learned.
2: then but then what happens is they go on a heritage register.
1: Right. Yeah, see, because it was
2: yeah. the 70s. So it automatically goes on everything is crazy and nothing has an effect on price other than whether people will buy or not look the number one rule in real estate is how much is it worth right whatever somebody's willing to pay not what all of us think right
1: mm-hmm.
2: you you need multiple parties involved in the decision and in agreement which is not very easy actually especially with these kind of numbers uh, i see tk is looking at the clock which means i should look at the clock which means we are out well, of time we talked a
1: few minutes ago. I <laughs> think we're, we're good, but said, Sh- this has been amazing. Uh, you are like a wealth of knowledge uh, by far, by far our favorite uh, listener slash commenter. And uh, <laughs> you know, we, ap- we appreciate you coming on today. You know, it's, it's amazing. And, and well, I think we could that. chat mm-hmm. for you for another hour and hopefully we could do this again in the future. And maybe we'll mm-hmm. have a hot topic one day that we could get into that you we think you'll be uh, well-versed in and, and we'll get you back on for sure.
2: I'm seeing a a spin-off show here, Urban Zen Justice Queen.
1: <laughs> you, you you need a show. Yeah, what about your own? Yeah, what about your own, you know, content? Are are you just happy to be, you know, supportive of all the other producers? I
3: support Yeah, I'm supportive of other people, but I, I wouldn't do it my like I I used to back in the day want to get into something, but not anymore just because of what I do for a living. I I don't, I don't like um I'm not publicity. that out there is what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You need to have some, so, uh, have some level of anonymity out there to be able to just ensure that you're providing the information uh, unbiasedly.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: absolutely. Well, thank you for being a part of our family. It was great to meet you.
3: Thank I, you. I
2: hope we can consider you a friend. We'd love to have you on again. And, uh, and thank you for all, all your on support. Twitter.
1: Yeah, Twitter. Justice Queen. If you're on Twitter and you're not following Justice Queen, you're missing out.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody. Great Sunday. Happy day. Thanks for watching.